to some of our visitors this morning coming to visiting a church and having them in the middle of something uh, rather than a, a one-off uh, sermon. A little bit difficult to know what's uh, going on perhaps. Uh, but what we're doing at the moment is we're looking at, as you can see there, a frozen image of the biblical meta narrative and a Christian worldview and where is Damo when you need him? Um, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the whole entirety of the biblical story going through um, very fast attempting to um, get some of the big highlights but not just in the sense of saying oh I know where this particular story fits and then this happens and that happens or whatever but getting a good sense about how it fits together and also thinking about um, what are some of the purposes and ideas and concepts and plans of God that continue to make their way through even uh, to us. In fact, I shouldn't even say even, is that these things have been in God's mind and God's purpose, God's plan uh, from the beginning. Um, what we find, in fact, though, is that sometimes uh, as Christians, we have reduced down the scope of what God's intentions are. We have reduced down the scope of salvation. We have reduced things down to our own concerns and um, purposes and our own considerations about our relationship with God. And part of what it means to enter into a relationship with God is to enter into a kind of uh, covenantal relationship on his terms, with his purposes, with his plans for the world, that we're not called not just to be recipients of God's grace, but participants in God's story. It begins with the grace that we receive. It begins with the salvation and the standing that we receive in terms of the covenant. But all of that flows out into a, a calling of life and a hope for the future as well. What often happens is that we actually miss out on a good sense of a theology of creation. What is God's original intent? And we don't often have a very good idea about what the final goal of salvation is. The new creation and uh, what we see in um, particularly very well presented to us in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21. I just noticed that this is still here. Is anyone who has a bit of um, nous and knowledge of how the... Um, that works at the back to go and uh, maybe give a bit of a hand because I think it's not getting any further. Last week, we didn't really get a chance to talk about this, so I'll just thread this in here. I've extended this series by a week. <laughs> Sorry to some of you who are wishing that it would come to an end. It shall not. It shall go on. Um, we looked at uh, Revelation chapter 21, and I just want to read this, uh, read this out. This is chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the ultimate scope of where things are going. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Bad news, Margaret River people. The sea here actually is just a symbol of the chaos. And of course the sea, you might remember if you've read the book of Revelation, is where the beasts and the empires and that emerge from. Sea is a, um, a symbol of chaos for, for Israel. Um, so there'll be no more sea, but there will be some indoor surfing for you, so don't worry. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, so Jerusalem, the city of peace, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He will, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is the scope of what God... Uh, <laughs> excellent. This is the scope of what God um, plans for his creation. As I've said before, creation abandoned, creation left behind... I would say so. It is. Creation abandoned is not part of God's plan. Creation redeemed, creation renewed, uh, restored, and much more is what God intends uh, for his plan. So we've been looking at this idea of a story in six acts. Um, creation, fall, um, the covenant with Israel and the ongoing work with God, the partnership in terms of uh, Israel, leading up to exile, the need for God's um, redemption to come to Israel and also for the sake of the world. So we've talked about all of those. Last week we skipped us. It's not the US, by the way. It's the centre of everything. 
So I've skipped us and we jumped ahead to the new creation or the idea of consummation. Saying, what is it that awaits us? What we just read there. What is the future? And then the question then comes, of course, what does this mean for us living in between? What does it mean to live between the inauguration of God's kingdom? What does it mean to come to live between the first coming of Jesus and everything that he did for us, accomplished for us, and this final end? And that's where we are today. Act chapter 5. And just to line this up with the words that we've been using each time, thinking about this, that we started off with the idea of creation, that, that God's plans in terms of the freedom that he allows um, his people leads to the fall or sin, entering the world or a disruption. But God cannot be overcome. God's plans will always reach their fruition. Um, but we shouldn't imagine um, that somehow or another... God intends um, for things to be done against his will. Okay, you go down that direction, you're in a very problematic place of God being the author of sin. So we have this disruption, but God cannot be um, thwarted in his purposes. And God sets about rectifying where humanity is headed with his covenant with Israel. A firm covenant based in his commitment to his people, Israel, on behalf of the world. You might say Israel is the place where God's dealings of the world centre. It's not that God doesn't deal in any way with other peoples. He mentions that to Israel from time to time. Didn't, you know, the Exodus, he says, yeah, but didn't I also bring the such and such people out of, out of their uh, distress as well? So we know that God in his providence is working, you know, in history, but the main game and the main aim to bring about um, his purposes of the world is through Israel on behalf of the world. Of course, Israel does not live up to their part of the covenant and redemption is required. So that was the next part there in the Messiah who uh, incorporates or recapitulates, as they say, does the story of Israel over again, does it right. He is the one who is faithful, even to the point of death, as Philippians 2 puts it. Okay, And then we found the consummation, the new creation, where, where we're headed, and now we're in what we call the now and the not yet. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, I hope that, um, that this is not unfamiliar to you. And if it is, give me your pastor's number. Um, because this is a fundamental thing that we learn when we're doing you know, New Testament studies and things like that, is that this idea about um, we are saved, but we are yet to be saved. What we have now is just a foretaste of what is to come. We already have the presence of God in our lives but there is much more that is to come we already have a relationship of love of sorts in a christian community um, the more the better but the final community will be there will be no hindrance to our love and uh, life together so what does this mean okay so last i'm not going to reread that if you can read very quickly this is what we were talking about from last week the idea that the final goal of the work of God is a community of creation redeemed, renewed, where sin and death and all of our enemies and all the things that afflict us um, are gone. So consequently, the goal of community lies at the heart of God's actions in history and God's ultimate intention for creation is the establishment of community. Uh, that's why it doesn't make sense. It's a possibility, it's a kind of a crazy possibility when Christians eh, will I be part of this, the Christian community, the church or not, you know, I can go and do my things out there it's not part actually of what God purposes we need to gather together, we need to encourage one another, we need to compel one another in um, the best possible way to live according to the gospel, to live as disciples of Christ and to bear witness to God's work in the world uh, around us so, what is this idea of the now and the not yet? Well, it comes from this idea, um, basically a, a late Jewish idea out of what you call apocalyptic language, ask me later, is that the present age that we live in now is one that is subject to all the different things that we just saw in Revelation um, thwart us, um, have power over us in a lot of ways, 
um, death and sin, um, sickness, uh, all these different things that come um, at us, this is all part of the present age. More than that though, this is where human beings oppress one another. We have things like empires, um, oppressing people, taking what they have or establishing kind of ownership over people. Something which, again, we get to the book of Revelation is strongly spoken out against and all through the Old Testament. So the present evil age, as Paul puts it in Galatians uh, 1, 2, is, um, is our current condition. It's good because it's part of God's creation, but it is deeply corrupted and defiled by the presence of sin and idolatry and oppression. So what do we look forward to? We look forward to, in the prophets and in the apocalyptic writers of the Old Testament, this idea that there is a coming age, the age to come, where all these things are going to be overcome and um, uh, all the plans of powerful um, kings and empires and things will be thwarted and thrown down. You might think about it in terms of uh, Mary's song at the beginning of Luke, where you're thinking about this messianic age, this new age to come, which is, she says, it's, it's going to happen now, where the poor are lifted up, the rich are thrown down, the mighty are humbled, and the humble are exalted. Um, and that's the age to come. What's part of that? Well, there's a lot of variety actually in the writings between the Testaments, but the general thing is the Messiah, the son of David, the great king that is promised will come. God's spirit will be poured out, that is his presence, once in the tabernacle and then the temple and then the presence of God left the temple and it was destroyed by Gentile empires and um, God was no longer seen in any sense amongst his people. So where is God gone? When will he bring his presence back? So the outpouring of the spirit, God's presence will return and there will be a general resurrection of the dead. This is something, again, that, come, that um, may be hinted at early in the Bible, but certainly by the time we get to Daniel, um, this idea is that, well, look, all these people who have remained faithful to God somewhat um, through history and have died and have not seen where, you know, these, these promises realised, what will happen to them? And, of course, the promise is they will be brought back. They will be resurrected. They will be brought back into this new age to come. Um, but also, what about those people that got away with um, terrible, terrible things? Well, they will also be brought back and uh, they will face the judgment of God, of Yahweh, um, probably through his Messiah. Certainly that's how the New Testament um, presents it. Okay, so this age, the age to come, decisive break between the two. Surprise, surprise, this is not how it all worked. Instead, we have this idea. Instead that the present evil age, if you like, continues to run on, the Messiah comes, the Spirit comes upon the Messiah, and then at his ascension, his resurrection and ascension, he pours out the Spirit upon his people, Jews first, and then believing Gentiles in this one new community. But it's not the end. That's actually, it's almost like there's a bit of a new beginning or there's a, a continuation of what's happened before, but now it's spread out for the whole world. The age to come has begun, the current age is still running, but at some point in the future, it, the present age will come to an end. And it will only be the age to come which is left. And that is, as we hope for, the appearing or second coming of Jesus Christ and, again, the resurrec resurrection of the dead. Resurrection to life, to those who believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Um, but, if you like, a short return for judgment um, for others. A lot could be said within those small statements, but we're racing along conveniently for me. So, this age, the age to come, we live in the already and not yet, all the now and the not yet, two different ways that people talk about it. What does it mean for us? What is our purpose? Why has God done this? What does it mean? Okay, just to show this is not just an idiosyncratic thing, I grabbed a couple of different versions of it. Although on this one here, the coming age is also reigned Messiah over Israel, which seems a little bit um, very specific unless they have a particular 
um, understanding of how Israel, uh, or what Israel means, I guess, in the end time, but I'm not going to spend any time on that. Goodbye. Okay, so all of our lives are directed toward this idea of coming to live in the city of God, this new Jerusalem, in a new heavens and a new earth, under one head, the Messiah, as it says in Ephesians 1.10. So we live, you might say, between the times. We live between the old age and the age to come, but those two have met in the present. We are to live in the age to come through Christ, yet living in the present evil age. So we live between the inauguration of new creation, so 2 Corinthians 5.17, a favourite verse that people get given when they're a new Christian. If anyone is in Christ... New creations, actually not there is or he is or she is, but just blah, new creation. If you are in Christ, you are beginning to live in the new creation now and in some form you are part of that. But we live between the resurrection and the final completion of the new heavens and new earth. And so what does this mean? It means that we live in a tension. We live between God's ultimate aims and you might say the penultimate aims of creation. If you think about God's ultimate aims, a new community, there will be no marriage and so forth. Um, in the present, we still continue on with um, a sense of the creational order. We continue to have children and so forth. But you'll also see in places like First Corinthians that actually uh, Paul says, uh, gives an indication that there's a tension between the two, that in fact those who are giving themselves uh, completely to God's new creation work are actually doing a, a good thing. Um, those who, could, who get married and have children are also doing a good thing, but there's kind of a, set, a tension um, between the two. We're not just rolling on creation forever, we're heading into something new and we live in anticipation of that. So we live like Jesus, the life of the age to come, under the conditions of the present age. So it means that when we talk about new creation, it's not kind of an ideal that's out there um, that we can't live up to or whatever else. We shouldn't think about it in terms of ideals, but we should think about it. We are, like Jesus did, to live a life of faithfulness to God in anticipation of God's new creation, living in terms of the character, ethos, and convictions of what the new creation means. We're to live that now in the midst of opposition. It's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is here. Here's how you live in the kingdom of God, e.g. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. Not an abstract ideal, but here is what the kingdom of God looks like, lived this new creation way, you might say, but under the conditions of opposition. Okay. Love your enemies. That's not a, a final... Uh, consummation uh, thing that is a live it now in the midst of the present world in the midst of enemies but loving as God loves is actually to live in anticipation of the life which is to come so there is conflict and there is suffering there's a couple of different kinds of suffering the suffering that is part of I guess our life in creation um, there are animals with sharp teeth there are bugs and things like that that can get into your system, that can do you damage. There are a lot of things that actually just living in the world as it is, not yet renewed, um, create suffering, sickness and so forth. In Romans 8, Paul tells us that all of creation is groaning, waiting to be set free from its bondage to decay. So we live in that kind of suffering. But the suffering that um, Jesus mostly talks about here um, is the suffering that comes from discipleship following the way of Jesus the King. If you follow the way of Jesus the King, he says, they persecuted me uh, and they will persecute you. To follow in his way will lead to suffering in terms of persecution. First Peter, again, another uh, element there. Um, where following the way of the cross, which is the way of Jesus, will ultimately lead to some forms of persecution and suffering. That is what we're called to do, which is not a welcome message, but that is the New Testament for us. We are called to actually suffer. But it also means in the midst of that, 
we hope, we persevere, and we are called to present the truth of God's purposes to the world through our speech and actions. Through our speech and actions, the world encounters the gospel and its amazing meaning for both the present and future. So we need to have this um, story, as I said, in the background of what we do, or else we are often um, tempted to um, reduce the meaning of the message. Often we'll talk about sin in terms of uh, a catalogue of bad things that we might have done. We don't think about sin as a power, which is actually the dominant way that um, New Testament and Romans, for example, talks about sin. There are sins that we commit because we are under the power of sin. So, what does this mean for us? We think about the story, we think about when presenting the gospel. The gospel is the climax of this story. The gospel is not the story, it's not the story of creation, the fall, and so forth, and then Jesus' death and then resurrection. The gospel is the story of Jesus, his life, leading to his death, God's vindication of him in the resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of God. You don't get that part, you've actually missed a whole bunch of the New Testament, which is very insistent that we think about uh, the ascension of, of Jesus. Um, the gospel is the culmination of that story. How should we think about it? Well, we've been talking about this. This is a very short summary. God of Israel, the creator of the world, has acted astonishingly to rescue a lost and broken world through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The full scope of that rescue is not yet apparent. But God has created a community of witnesses to this good news, the church. While awaiting the grand conclusion of the story, the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is called to reenact the loving obedience of Jesus Christ and thus to serve as a sign of God's redemptive purposes in the world. Okay, you might not have realised you were signing up to that when someone presented you a kind of a gospel that how God was going to forgive you and you would have a relationship with him and uh, when you die, you have a future assured with him. Oh my goodness, you've actually signed up to something, um, a lot of work by the look of it. So how should we think about it? Well, firstly, remember that God has created a community to witness to the good news. God does not roll back the skies where it says, here I am, yes, there is a God, um, here's a message, believe it, and then um, we'll talk later and uh, get together. He's created a community of witnesses to this good news. We are the ones he's entrusted with that message, in part because part of the result of that message is to join this community. That's part of what election means in the Bible. God chooses people, chooses a community, sends them into the world such that they will believe the gospel and they will join that community and so the process continues. And they will live in that community, as we will see, uh, in such a way that it continues to broadcast and embody what God's purposes are for the world. So we are a community of witnesses to this good news. We have experienced the call of the King, Jesus Christ, we have learned of what his salvation or learning about what his salvation means and what the calling of discipleship means and we are to bear witness to that which means we need to spend time in God's word we need to spend time together encouraging one another we need to spend time learning from one another uh, mentoring people discipling people all those different things again you've signed up to a lot of work um, so this is what God requires also that we can bear witness to the world okay it's not just about a sort of breezing through life well it's okay for us and others don't matter so much and maybe god will sort it all out in the end and after all christians aren't a big deal anymore in society we've lost our um you know our majority place now we're a small minority <coughs> just like the early church so there's nothing to be upset about in one respect this is the normal mode of operation for the Christians. We don't operate out of power. We operate out of the way of the cross. Now, we will talk a bit about this next week. That doesn't mean we don't have anything to say in our shared life with others, common life, in terms of uh, politics and so forth. 
in terms of our contributions or critique of culture. These are all important things, but the main thing is always, what is this community that God has called us to in Christ through his saving work? So, share the good news. And here's one that probably might surprise you a little bit, but actually it's a, just another Christocentric, Christ-centred way of thinking about discipleship. God does not just sort of call us in salvation to collect a bunch of people just to say, as I've said over a number of weeks, you're forgiven, see you at the end. Also, don't do bad stuff in between, which is kind of, a tr again, a truncated uh, notion of what um, we're called to do. The very purpose of God's salvation to us is for us to come into a relationship whereby we do what God has always required his people to do, which is to love one another, which is to be peacemakers, which is to see justice in God's world. All the things that happen all through the Old Testament, all the things that God requires, not an agenda that's been set aside, but rather one where more people now included, Jews and Gentiles together, in the power of God's spirit. So called to reenact the loving obedience of Jesus Christ. We've talked about the faithfulness of Jesus to death, that he remained completely dedicated to his Father in heaven to do the things that uh, he was required to do. And he said to his disciples on his way to the cross, you also need to take up your cross and follow me. Uh, only one man standing at the end, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but nonetheless, the way of the cross is the paradigmatic picture, you would say, of what it means to actually follow faithfully um, what God requires of us. Come on, you, you can do it. There we go, yes. And then lastly, to serve, oh, lastly to serve as a sign of God's redemptive purposes for the world. Those two things are connected. What does it mean for us to live as a community in the midst of a world which is um, sometimes hostile, sometimes curious and interested, most of the time in our setting ambivalent, but nonetheless we are called actually to be witnesses to embody what God um, seeks to achieve in the world. We are a sign that God is at work in the world. As with Israel, when we do not do, when we do not pursue, we are, when we are not committed to the work of God, God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles and dismissed among um, Jews who don't uh, receive Jesus as the Messiah, recognise him. God puts a lot on us to actually get things pretty much right or better than we do. Um, and our witness in that regard, the way that we live our life, not just being nice, but that's a start, um, it's critical actually to be able to share the good news and to see its credibility. If you tell people that actually this will change your life, this will mean that you are in communion with the true and living God, the creator, and you will experience his love and he will send you into the world to love others and da, 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 and all the big spiel and then if our lives are inconsistent in that regard it, it's a bit like the fly in the ointment it does tend to question the credibility of that and there's an element where we can say God forgives us God continues to pick us up and help us to move on this is fine this is good this is true but that's not enough okay it's always that um, as we'll see in a moment <coughs> we're to leave behind what was before put off the old man put on the new man or new humanity we're to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin the order of the world the present age but alive to God that's what our baptism signifies that we have committed to a new life as servants of righteousness rather than servants of sin okay so those three things there just I noticed in that uh, paragraph as I was uh, reading and then it made me think oh wait a minute who reads the newsletter yes 
Yes. Um, who's seen that before? Yes. Is there, really? Only, only those people? My goodness. Okay, so that's in the newsletter every week on every page, sometimes twice on a page. Um, a slight modification of our uh, tagline from before, but you might actually see that that's actually uh, connected in, not deliberately from that particular passage. But yes, the idea that what are we called to do? We are called to follow Jesus Christ, to live his way in the world, to share the good news, to speak the words of the gospel, not just, oh, well, do good things and maybe somehow or another they'll hear about it. Share the good news and care for God's world. Care for human beings, care for the creation, care for all elements of what God has made as a witness to the way of Christ, who now has authority over all of these things in heaven and earth. Okay, but don't worry. I'm not leaving you on your own. You have a community together to work on this. But more importantly, we have what is probably the centre of what it means to have a relationship with God is that we are empowered by the Spirit. The Spirit has been sent. There's two things we've been talking about through this series. One is the making, the breaking and the remaking of shalom, God's peace or harmony with justice in the world, that picture of what you see at the new creation at the end, and also the idea of God making his home among us, that God's intention is not for us to go and be with him, but heaven and earth to come together that God will actually be present among human beings forever as I said there in Revelation there at the start God now dwells among human beings among mortals he now lives amongst them he did it in the tabernacle he did it in the temple there was disobedience to the covenant he drew back and left Israel to the, uh, uh, the curses of the covenant including uh, exile and defeat by their enemies, the empires. But the thing that was always hoped for, and we see at the beginning of the book of Acts, that when the gospel comes, that the sign that the spirit has come is about the sign of the restitution of all things, the renewal of all things. That's what the spirit is. When it talks about the um, Christian community as being a temple, you are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not just like, ah, that's a nice image picked out of scripture. Um, this is actually part of the goal. The idea of a temple is a, is a place where heaven and earth meet together. You go to the temple because God will meet you there. Earth is meeting heaven. And that's precisely what's happening here, would you believe it, is that this group of people here, actually indwelt by the Spirit of God, is a place where heaven and earth come together anticipating God's final goal. God's empowering presence, you might say, is here amongst us. Our relationship with God, as I said last week, is not about me personally with God. It is a mediated relationship in two respects, that actually you relate to God through Jesus, the ascended Messiah, our great high priest, and we pray in the name of Jesus who is before us, before God on our behalf. But also, God is here amongst us as well through the outpouring of his spirit. That's how you have a relationship with God, not just a kind of a, a long-distant wireless personal relationship with God. You actually have an intercessor at the right hand of God on your behalf through whom you pray, and God is here amongst you speaking to um, in a variety of ways through the Holy Spirit. Okay. So when we think about this new world that's on the way, that is to come, the new Jerusalem, the bringing together of um, heaven and earth, we're in a, a position, of, I guess, of tension. We stand at the bridge, you might say, of two ages. We stand at the point of the old age and the new age which has arrived, and we are also, as a priestly people, a royal priesthood, as First Peter 2 tells us, chosen people, a royal priesthood, kingdom of priests, we are also at that bridge of heaven and earth. 
And in that priestly vocation that we have, and you might say even a royal vocation that we have, we've been given as the image of God was intended to do, to actually have dominion reflecting the character of God in the present world. That's something that we uh, participate in as a community, as a people, in different ways in the world. We can also think about it individually as a part of that and think about what is, the, in a sense, the priestly and royal uh, vocation that each of us has. Even if it's a small, you know, might seem a small thing, what's this sort of area of life that God has entrusted me with? What are the things and the relationships and the uh, material goods and all those different things that I'm a part of, even a part in the political process, you might say, as well, to, to be part of thinking about that. What is the element whereby I, as a priestly and kingly figure, as it were, can actually exercise influence? Whether it's through prayer, whether it's through quiet actions, but having dominion over a certain kind of space, not over other people, but over a particular roles, work, households and so forth, different work that we have, how do you actually think about heaven and earth coming together right at the point where you are? How do you think about how you're an agent of change rather than an object of change, an agent of change where the kingdom of God, in even some small way, is coming to be manifest through you in anticipation of what God will do at the end? What is that, and what does it mean for the spirit to be present in that reality too? It certainly sounds like a, a mind-blowing uh, thing, the idea that somehow or another, even, yeah, in, in my life, even in the first century, this slave's life, that Paul can say things that they are to um, walk in newness of life and also reign in life as kings. Well, a slave, a first century slave, well, obviously it's like political power over other people, but somehow there's an element of the dominion of the image of God and an agency that one gains by actually being part of God's kingdom and living now in the spirit. So a new world is on the way. We're called to be a signed foretaste instrument of the kingdom. Who's seen this quote before? Okay, so what we have now is we have a mismatch between I read the newsletter and I've seen this before because I've actually had this in here um, probably about oh, five, six times. Um, I still love it. The present world era remains fallen and only the return of Christ can and will resolve the problems of the world as a whole. Nevertheless, it is our future hope which guides our present present particular action okay we live in anticipation of what is to come not just hoping for it like oh i can't wait for that to happen but the shape of our lives now as the people of god in christ indwelled by the spirit is to live in anticipation in our actions so this hope guides our particular action while we're not called upon to purge reform and manage the world as a whole we are called to find ways to act as faithful signs of God's promised future. Okay. Now, sometimes uh, in our world we have the freedom to choose particular uh, roles, professions, jobs and so forth where you might say, oh, that's easy, no, uh, healing, and, healing um, jobs and so forth, jobs where we are restoring broken uh, relationships. Um, it might be that we're called in other restorative ways to work in terms of uh, law. Um, there's a lot of different ways that uh, might leap out at us as actually to, um, it might seem that that's a fantastic job that actually I can see embodying God's promised future. But this is something that we can all think about in our, in our work and uh, in our lives as well. What are the ways that we live that actually give a sense of this is where God wants history to go? It's not, as we've been saying many weeks, a theology of escapism and abdication of responsibility in the world. As I said before, we are a priestly kingdom, a kingdom of priests, to actually pray for the world and act in light of God's kingdom in it. It is a reminder to live now in the light of the coming kingdom of God when justice, peace, righteousness, truthfulness and purity will be made complete. 
might think of, again, Philippians, where Paul talks about, you know, think on these things, and a big, big long list there. Um, things that you'd like to see actually uh, appear in the world in a, in a good way, to actually see God's character reflected in ourselves, in our practices, in our institutions, all those different things. So this is an essential element of what we're called to do. That is to live in accordance with the kingdom in the present and it is attached, it is connected to what is to come. We're not building the kingdom here in um, this world, but we are, as N.T. Wright puts it, building for the kingdom. In other words, what we do is important in history and it will in some form be recognised at the end both in terms of judgement and in a mysterious way, as we said last week, talks about the the glory and honour of the nations being brought into the New Jerusalem. Um, Great image, not sure exactly what it means, but there is a connection between the way we live our life now and what is to come. That is, what the world will be ultimately in terms of a new creation, we are called to live now. Okay, now... I'm going to finish with this to your great relief in anticipation of next week though just to think about these things it's important for us to know the big picture it's important for us to know the Bible it's important for us to know how it works and why things are there not just so you can repeat oh yes um, there's David and then there's Solomon and then these two sons it's not just so you can memorise things or know where things are why are they there why have we been given the scriptures in this particular form why is it that as Gentile Christians we should be interested in the story of Israel leading to Jesus? We don't understand Jesus well if we don't understand where he comes from because he's always talking about uh, what's come before. He's come to fulfil the promises, fulfil the Torah in terms of obedience and he's come to redeem and rescue his people and the world. We want to understand what are the purposes of God and this is really the big thing here. I want us to be able to explain to those who ask us what our faith is about. Okay? Now, just said before about the Holy Spirit indwelling us and empowering us and so forth. Jesus says to some of his disciples, don't worry, when you're dragged before those who are going to accuse you, the Holy Spirit will give you the words in terms of defence. I'm not sure that we're supposed to extend that to... Um, um, every other area of life. I'm not going to learn anything. I'll just the Holy Spirit will give me the uh, words that I need at the time. We need to have an understanding of things. As, uh, is it Paul or Peter? They both say some similar things. In this case, Paul, in terms of malice and other sort of sinful activities, gossiping and stuff like that, be like children. Right? But in understanding, be grown-ups. We can't go through our lives... I guess, um, comfortable with our understanding, comfortable with where we're at, what we've learned. Yeah, I'm happy. I already understand everything, basically. I'm setting the main points. And uh, here we go. Talking to those outside the church and even those inside, things will get thrown at you, which, um, yeah, curly questions. And it's incumbent on us to understand our faith so that we can give an answer. And Peter... Be always ready to give an answer for the hope that you have within you. What's it about? What does it mean? So have a framework. That's what we're doing here um, over these weeks. We're going to see how this framework, as we go through different parts of Scripture, um, as we go through different books of Scripture, you'll pick up, I think, ah, this is the story that lies behind it. Now I understand what's actually going on, or so I hope. So we need to have an overview, as I said, not just of events but also, and stories, but the, and I didn't finish the sentence, but, <laughs> oops, um, have an overview, not just of events, but that big picture framework, as I said. So we know where the stories and events are happening is also important, so we know how to interpret them and learn from them well, in which case we escape from the idea of a flat Bible. So what does the Bible say about sudden such? Well, verse from here, verse from there, verse from there. There we go. This is what the Bible says. We need to have an understanding where particular things come from, particular verses come from, particular ideas come from. What stage of salvation history is this particular thing coming from? Does anything trump something else? 
It used to be a good word, Tump. Um, we need to incorporate the whole gospel of Jesus Christ in our understanding and understand the scope of Jesus' achievement for us and what he calls us to. To what he calls us, Sarah. Yeah. We need to have a sense of how this all ties together. Okay. We need to have our understanding to be connected with what's happening in the story. Um, if I can be mean for a moment, in a godly way, um, as I sometimes say, sometimes when we come to the Bible, it's a prompt for us just to say the things that we already think, for our own agenda, for our own set of questions. Instead, what the Bible invites us into is actually to be part of God's story. And within that, we will find out how, what our part is, what our relationship with God looks like, what our life looks like in light of that. But we will only come to it through the way God has presented it, not through drilling in with our own uh, agendas or questions. Questions are great, but not all questions work well, we'll say. Okay. I'm going to look at this next week because it's now 20 past 11. So, small mercies. My small part of Dominion is to um, rein in the time here um, of myself. So, just in summary, what does it mean to live in the present? In the now and the not yet. We live in the light of God's kingdom to anticipate it. But, it's not an ideal, it is in the midst of struggle and opposition. We experience it within ourselves, the realm of flesh, that is the order of the world as it is, centred in the way human beings think about things, versus the way of the spirit, that is the new age, the new order of things that has come into the world through the sending of the spirit, based on the death and resurrection of ascension of Jesus. So we're living in attention. Sometimes we are tempted to resolve the tension by backing off and maybe not putting as much into things. Drawing back from opposition, drawing back from challenges. And that way we can oh, relieve the tension. I won't really live into discipleship because it's just going to create problems with my family, with my workmates, with other different areas. The only way we can resolve the tension uh, in a godly way, in, in effect, is to let the world do that, as Jesus did, which is that Jesus follows faithfully the way of his Father to death. And that is part of what taking up one's cross means. It's basically a kind of non-conformity. About to slot that, though. Non-conformity um, with the way of the world. So it's a place of tension. But it is a place of hope because we know, we believe, we continue to encourage one another with the words, come Lord Jesus, or that we seek a better city, that we want to live in the new creation. We want to walk in the newness of life now and in the fully in the future. So... Let's just finish with a prayer of hope and the challenge of discipleship, living between the times and the now and not yet tension. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing work through history that you have not abandoned your creation, but you have stuck with it. You have committed yourself to your creation and its redemption in the fullness that astounds us. But you have in fact realised your commitment to that through becoming through your son, the word made flesh. That there is a part, there is an aspect of you that is part of creation forever. You have bound yourself to creation forever. And in the midst of a world that does not recognise that for the most part, we are often frustrated. We're challenged to disbelieve that this is real. We're challenged to doubt that any contribution we make matters. 
But each of us matter to you. Those who have come to accept the Lord Jesus as your Messiah, the world's true Lord. And you also love all of those who are out in the world yet to actually make have that realisation, to have that revelation. As those who know and those who have a hope of that calling, we pray that we will understand it better. We will understand the inheritance we have as your holy people, that we would understand that even in a position of social and personal weakness, that your power has been exercised on your behalf, your mighty power that was exercised in the raising of Jesus from the dead when you set him at your right hand, ascended with you. And we look forward with great confidence of his appearing, of his return, as it were, but of his return to make things right. As it says at the end of Philippians chapter 3, that you will come with that same power to change our own mortal bodies into bodies of honour and not shame, and it will be the same power that will make all things new. Help us to live with that hope. Help us have confidence in what you have already achieved, the unassailable work that Jesus has, has uh, done and your vindication of it in the resurrection. Help us to be faithful to you, to re, recapitulate, to reenact, to do over again in a uh, following Jesus' example, faithfulness to you in the present world. Help us to put your kingdom first and your justice and righteousness and we trust that all the other things that we're worried about will be added to us in the present age and the age to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Bruce. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for your patience. Uh, sucked in, as they say, for next week, and it continues, but then, I promise, ends. Um, join us now for some time of fellowship, talk, encourage one another in your faith, and uh, maximum five minutes talking about the grand final. <laughs> <laughs>